Well, last week we began the most controversial sermon series in Oaks Parish history. And it's controversial because I'm not exactly clear how we should be pronouncing this word in the English language. This series is entitled either Rooted or Rooted. So we just kind of need to settle this, I think maybe here to the best of our ability. If you think the word is rooted, please raise your hand. Okay, a couple of people. If it's rooted, please raise your hand. Okay, wow. This is astonishing because as people have interacted with me, I've kind of felt like it's, it's been 50-50. If you grew up in the Midwest uh, or maybe West Coast, you, it might be more rooted. But if you grew up in the South or the British Isles, it's rooted. One of us here grew up in the British Isles, Ivan. We were talking about this uh, earlier. And I said, Ivan, how would you pronounce this in England? He said, it's rooted. And that's the king and queen's English. So that's what we're going to go with, <laughs> is rooted. I trust that some way, somehow, we can find unity here at Oaks Parish, avoid a church split or theological schism. This series is designed to do just the opposite. It's designed to bring us together. It's designed to bring us back to the roots of who we are here at Oaks Parish as a church. Our church is named after a tree. So it's only natural that we will follow this analogy in introducing and reintroducing Oaks Parish amongst us. T.S. Eliot famously wrote, we shall not cease from exploration and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and to know the place for the first time. So that's the hope of this series. And we began the series looking at the mission of Oaks Parish and our mission, why we exist as a church, is to abide in Christ Jesus for the renewal of all things. And whether you work in the marketplace, education, healthcare, most of us are part of an organization. We talk about mission and vision often these days. Sometimes these terms are conflated. So here's what we mean by mission and vision at Oaks Parish. Mission is really our x-axis. It's our relationship to God, to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And for us, it's really a picture of union, this union that we have because of what Christ has done for us. And it's through this union that we reach the highest aim of all humanity. It's relationship with God. It's where we find our meaning, our purpose, our fulfillment in life. That's the x-axis. But then the question becomes, what do we do here in this world? That's the y-axis, and that's where our vision comes into play. What has God called us as a church to do in the city of Portland? to do in our region, in the Pacific Northwest, and to do more broadly here in the world? And to answer that question, we go to Revelation chapter 21 and 22. Revelation 21 and 22 gives us a visionary picture for human existence. It's where all of human history is headed. And so if this is where all of human history is headed, it would make sense that our church is pointed in the same direction, right? Well, there's five elements of this visionary picture that constitute our future in Christ. Let me give them to you briefly. 
The first element we find at the end of Revelation 21, the beginning of Revelation 22, is a heavenly city. And this heavenly city doesn't remain in heaven, but it's coming here to renew the earth. Back in chapter 21, starting in verse 9, John writes, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And in the spirit, he carried me away to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It has the glory of God and a radiance like a very rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. And in the verses that follow, John gives us the height, the width, the length of this city. And it leads us to believe that this city is actually a cube which is the exact shape of the most holy of holy places in Jerusalem's temple. John is doing his best here in human language to describe what is really indescribable. One scholar notes that the city has a footprint approximately equal in size to the entire landmass of the Roman Empire. It's large enough to encompass the world as John knew it. This new Jerusalem, it's not just an alternative to Rome. It's not just an alternate empire to the Roman Empire. John's point is that it is vastly superior in every way to anything, any civilization that we as human beings have ever known. The second element is God's perpetual and pervasive presence If it's a new Jerusalem, especially if you're a Jewish reader reading this or hearing about this in the first century, you would expect a new Jerusalem right there at the center to contain a temple, a temple purified unto the Lord. But John states something provocative, that he saw no temple in the city. Shocking, but here's why. For the temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Have you ever wondered, you know, or asked the question, why can't I just hear directly, audibly, clearly from God about whatever it is that's going on in my life? Certainly, We hear through God from scripture and prayer. We find God showing up, speaking to us in circumstance. But there's always that gnawing desire to be face to face with God, to understand him clearly. That's what it will be like one day. That gnawing desire in our soul, it's there because it's waiting to be fulfilled. And this is what we really mean by discipleship here at Oaks Parish. We talk about about an abiding life in Christ Jesus. And what we mean by that is living with God such that we have a quiet heart, which is a strength that comes from the Lord, not ourselves. Healthy discipleship is being able to hear and respond to God and it's bearing the fruit of his Holy Spirit. Imagine what it will be like one day when we look upon the very face of God. Surely we will enjoy a quiet heart. 
surely we will hear and respond to him. And surely we will bear the fruit of his Holy Spirit. So we're trying to practice through discipleship for what will one day be. Third is a culture of renewal and flourishing. Notice that the New Jerusalem has open access to the presence of God. And instead of a world being in rebellion against him, the whole and full glory of humanity is being brought into him in worship. And notice what is absent, the worship of false gods and falsehood altogether. It's kept out of the city. It's like banning cell phones in a library. It just, falsehood and false gods have no place in God's new world. Boundaries are necessary to support this flourishing new world. Sin, death, injustice, they don't exist because they no longer have a place. Fourth, the new Jerusalem. And we see that it's a city but perhaps a city unlike anything we've ever seen. It's a city that's also a garden. And it's so lush that it's hard to distinguish, is this really a city or is this more a garden? Scholar N.T. Wright, who I got that library analogy from, he says that we slowly rub our eyes and discover that even the glorious world of Genesis 1 was the beginning of something rather than an end in itself. It was itself a great signpost pointing to the world that God always intended to make out of it. (laughs) Finally, we find where this signpost had pointed to all along. The fifth element, healing. And healing can be found in God's new world because of Christ's lordship. Chapter 22, starting in verse two, the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Nothing accursed will be found there anymore, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him and they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. It's this direct and immediate contact, the very person of God. And as a result of his presence, there will be no more night. They need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. It's interesting that John calls this garden city, this new Jerusalem, the bride, the wife of the lamb. Scripture only uses those designations for one other thing, and that's the church, the people of God. Therefore, this picture, this is our destiny. This is who we really are in the here and now, because this is who we will one day be. We do this all the time. We plan a trip, particularly to an international destination. And what do you do in preparation for that trip? You know, six months, even a year out, you begin scouring the internet. You buy the Frommer books. You consult Rick Steves. And then with enough information, you begin to make plans. You make the reservations, the excursions, the dining experiences. Present action aligns with a future reality. Passports, that's another thing. So our present action is 
aligning with a future reality. And that's really the why behind our vision here at Oaks Parish. That as we abide in Christ Jesus, we grow in the pursuit of God's justice and healing for the nations because this is where the whole of human history is headed. And we want to be pointed in the same direction. So the question is, how are we doing in the church and culture aligned with this future reality? A mentor says that it's not enough to know where you're going in order to get there. You need to understand where you are presently, your current reality. We can say we're going to New York City all day long, but it's a very different thing if you're starting from Miami than starting from LA. You need to understand our current reality. And in pursuit of God's justice and healing for the nations, we live in a world, both in the church and in culture, where God's justice and healing are distorted. And I think this happens in two particular ways. One is through what we might call performative justice. Had an interesting experience uh, this summer. Uh, We went back uh, east, down south with our kids. Uh, We spent some time in Nashville uh, where my family lives in a suburb. And as we were driving around, um, we saw signs in people's yards. And as we know, we have a lot of signs in our yards here in Portland, except the signs there are Bible verses, not political messages per se. But it kind of calls to mind, it begs this question, what is this performative justice all about? It's not enough just to give lip service to justice, just to put a sign in our yard and call it good. You know, here in Portland, when I see a Black Lives Matter sign in Portland, it begs the question, whoever lives there, do they really know people of color? Are they really in relationship? And when I see signs quoting the Bible in Nashville, it begs the question, do you really believe the demands of those scriptures? Because so many white churches during the civil rights era did not. And one way or another, putting a sign in our yard and calling it good when it comes to justice and healing, that's not the picture of Revelation chapter 22. So there's performative justice. Then on the other hand, there's violent justice. It's interesting that in the span of one year, 2020 to 2021, we witnessed destructive unrest in our city over a period of 100 days which was followed by destructive unrest in our nation's capital on January 6th. Two different contexts, two radically different vantage points and beliefs, both destructive. Ultimately, it didn't lead to the good, the true, the beautiful. Neither performative justice or violent justice result in the picture that we find in Revelation 21 and 22 of God's justice and healing. The question is, how do we get there? And what we believe here at Oaks Parish is that the scriptures are sufficient for all of our life and for salvation. And so one of those places where we can find just the answer we're looking for is in Micah chapter 6. Micah chapter six helps us address our current reality. The Old Testament prophet Micah lived during a unique time in Israel's history. During Micah's lifetime, a huge gap developed between the extremely rich and the oppressed poor. This was caused by greedy landowners who exploited Israel's middle class 
and we're supported in this injustice by corrupt political and religious leaders. Israel at the time was a picture of both performative justice, leaders who were giving lip service, and also violent justice, oppressing the poor. How did God respond? He raised up the armies of Assyria who destroyed the northern part of Israel in 722 BC and then marched to the very gates of Jerusalem before King Hezekiah finally, with the leadership of Israel, repented and turned to God. And amidst that season of repentance, the question was asked, what does God need from us? Does he need us to make sacrifices? Does he need us to bring offerings to the temple? Like other cultures in the ancient Near East, maybe he needs us to bring our firstborn and sacrifice them unto the Lord. And Micah says, no, 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 no. You don't get it. He has told you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So that framework that addressed injustice and error, perhaps similar to our own, those three things, they form the three legs of how we carry out our vision for God's justice and healing here at Oaks Parish. Let me say just briefly a word about all three of those things. First, we seek to walk humbly with God. That's another way of saying that we don't need to feel pressure to have everything figured out. <laughs> that these are complex questions of justice and healing in our culture and in the church. We just need to be learners, humble before God. Tim Keller explains why this is important in an essay from 2021. He wrote this, in the Bible, Christians have an ancient, rich, strong, comprehensive, complex, and attractive understanding of justice. Biblical justice differs in significant ways from all the secular alternatives without ignoring the concerns of any of them. Yet Christians know little about biblical justice despite its prominence in the scriptures. This ignorance is having two effects. First, large swaths of the church still do not see doing justice as part of their calling as individual believers. Second, many younger Christians recognizing this failure of the church and wanting to rectify things are taking up one or another of the secular approaches to justice which introduces distortions into their practice and lives. This is why we want to be humble learners here at Oaks Parish. I did this a couple of years ago as we walked through Paul's book to the church in Rome and talked about God's justice and healing in that context. We did it just this summer in one of our reading groups on lament. We want to grow in our understanding of God's justice and healing as we find it in Scripture. Secondly, we want to do justice. And long before Phil Knight said it, Micah said it, just do it. In the book of Micah, injustice is often tied to socioeconomic factors. The greed of Israel's landowners caused them to serve money rather than Yahweh. We as the church, we have an opportunity to invert this dynamic that so often comes along with financial assets. 
to use our tithes and offerings in an upside down kingdom way. This is why giving our tithes and offerings and calling for that commitment is a part of our worship here at Oaks Parish each and every Sunday. And our goal is that by 2025, 25% of our annual budget be allocated to gospel-centered ministry to the least, the last, and the lost. This requires a five percentage point increase in our missional giving each year starting three years ago. So right now, we're in our third year of this big, audacious thing that we're trusting God with. Third year of this vision step. And this year, we just approved our our budget for the ministry year. 15% of our budget, that's $50,000, will be given away to gospel-centered mission to the least, the last, and the lost. You might be asking the question, man, $50,000, that's a lot of money. Where's that going? Let's make sure we understand where that money is going. Well, I would suggest three things of where this is going. One is to family promise in our ministry here in the city coming alongside families that are making that transition from the street to a sustainable life. The money is secondly going to our church planting network. You know, we're a part of a church planting network that has existed for 22 years. And over that time frame, we've planted 20 churches here in the Pacific Northwest, here in this city, and all over our region. One that really stands out is the church plant and community development center that was planted among the Yakima people on the Yakima reservation up in Washington. A guy named Chris Granberry went there about 15 plus years ago just with the idea that he would bring God's justice and healing through the church to the Yakima people by serving them. And he sacrificially served them to the point that just a couple of years ago, they gave Chris a Yakima name the first white man in Yakima Nation history to ever receive a Yakima name. And in the intervening years, uh, Chris was discipling a young Yakima uh, intern that eventually became an ordained minister. And he's now handed off the whole project to Joshua. We've done that not only in our region, but we also do this in, with the Robbins family and the Nelson family globally as Amanda prayed just moments ago. Both of these families are equipping indigenous leaders and providing medical and psychological care to the people of Malawi and Guatemala. It's because we have taken on this vision for God's justice and healing, and it's because of your financial generosity that we get to be a part of changing the reality of justice and healing in our city, in our region, and in the world. Third, the third leg of this stool is that we want to extend mercy to one another. This really brings us into the heart of the gospel. You know, cancel culture is not a new reality. That was a temptation for Jews and Gentiles in the church living in the first century. The apostle Paul writes extensively about how these two groups can be a world apart and yet they find unity only in one place. It's the gospel of Jesus. Why is cancel culture a thing? It's because we as human beings, whether you're living in the first century or living in our own day and age, we love to find our righteousness and our salvation in an ideal rather than God. 
so tempting to anchor our identity in, our, in a viewpoint, an aspiration, or a standard. So that when that ideal or that standard is met, we feel a sense of self-righteousness, nobility. But when we or people around us fail to meet that ideal, we judge them. We judge ourselves, rendering a condemning verdict. Here's the question. Do we really want to root our identity in something so fragile and something so damaging to relationship? The alternative is what Jesus has done for you. Jesus died for the ultimate standard of justice that none of us could ever live up to. And in his death, we find forgiveness. And it's through this forgiveness that we are guaranteed to never be cast out, to never be canceled by God, so to speak. Instead, we are eternally and reconciled and loved by God himself. Rooted in Christ, we become a people who on the one hand uphold standards of justice, while at the same time have the ability to forgive and love one another. You see, in the gospel, it's not an either or. It's a both and. Don't we want that? It was this reality of the gospel that empowered the vision of Martin Luther King Jr. during the civil rights movement. And one quote in a, in a piece of writing is profound. King writes this, we have before us the glorious opportunity to inject a new dimension of love into the veins of our civilization. Our motto must be freedom and justice through love, not through violence, not through hate, no, not even through boycotts, but through love. As we struggle for freedom in America, it may be necessary to boycott at times. We must remember as we boycott that a boycott is not an end within itself. It is merely a means to awaken a sense of shame within the oppressor and challenge his false sense of superiority. But the end is reconciliation. The end is redemption. The end is the creation of the beloved community. It is this type of spirit and this type of love that can transform oppressors into friends. That's the gospel. And who we are is this beloved community existing in the here and now as the world will one day be. In pursuit of God's justice and healing for the nations here at Oaks Parish, we wanna walk humbly with God. We wanna just do it when it comes to justice and put our money where our mouth is. And thirdly, we wanna extend mercy to one another. And it's this threefold strategy that moves us from the challenges of injustice, whether it's back in Micah's day, the first century, or here and now, to the glorious vision of the world as it will be given to us when the new heavens marry the new earth. All throughout this series, we wanna give you some tracks to run on, some ways that you can begin to get rooted here in God's church here at Oaks Parish. I'm gonna ask three questions at the end of each sermon during this series. Uh, these questions are on the back of your postcard and I wanna encourage you to pray over the answers and to fill this out for yourself over the next five weeks. First, what is your next step with discipleship in Jesus? Maybe that's joining a discipleship group. Maybe that's coming to our membership gathering lunch today and finding out about membership. Maybe that's refreshing your spiritual habits for the year. What's that next step?
Second, to what community has God called you to be on mission? You know, very naturally, there's people in your life that you're around all the time, people that you care about, people that you probably pray for. Maybe they're your team at work. Maybe they're your neighbors. Maybe it's people in a neighborhood association. Whatever that is, what's that community in your life where God has sent you? Third, how will you prioritize life together here at Oaks Parish? All throughout the year, we're gonna have the opportunity to stay after church for social hours, hang out with one another, uh, quarterly potlucks, that sort of thing, all sorts of different social events. Life together is important. I encourage you to make it a priority because it's how we develop connection after so much profound disconnection during the pandemic. It's also a way that we can welcome others into the church as Christ has welcomed us. Let me pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love on the hard wood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you for the honor of your name. Amen.